Welcome to Rework, a podcast by Basecamp about the better way to work and run your business. I'm Waylon Wong. And I'm Sean Hildner. This week, we bring you our second mailbag episode where Jason Freed and David Heinemeyer Hansen here at Basecamp will be answering your questions. On last episode, we featured an interview with Allison Green, who writes a workplace advice column called Ask a Manager. So as a special bonus, we're also going to have her answer a couple of your questions. Here's question one. What are the imperatives of a leader, particularly managing a remote workforce, when it comes to culture? And really around when there are changes to be made or there are elements of that culture that need to be reinforced. I think what this person is asking is, how do you communicate changes in a company culture when the workforce is remote? The way we do it is the same way we would do it even if they're local, which is we'd write it up. We think it through, talk it over, write it up, and publish it. And one of the reasons I think that's really important, and publish, I should say, what does that mean? So in some organizations, that might mean emailing it. In our organization, it means posting on Basecamp. The reason that's important, I think, is because it's it's historical then. So if you have a new employee who comes in, uh, and first of all, it's, it's important because everyone can read it and they can absorb it at once. And if someone wasn't there one day, they don't miss it. And if someone new comes in, they can read that too. Uh, because sometimes, you know, cultural changes might be a moment in time, but if you want new people to understand why you made a change or what happened, they need to be able to refer to that. And if it just happened in this moment where you say it out loud, it's kind of lost at that point. So I think the other thing is, is that uh, writing it up forces you to really have to explain it well so people can understand it without having to ask questions about it. They're always free to, but the goal is just like write it up in a way where people are like, I get it. I understand what this is all about. And I'm clear. And I think the follow-up to that is then you have to put it into practice, right? Like there's so many cultural shifts or memos put out that just end there, that this is just something a leader or manager wrote up because they would like to see that happen and then they don't follow through either on their own accord and actions or enforcing that with others. So I think that before it actually can be called culture, it has to be something that you do, not just something that you say. And... That is not an immediate thing, right? So you, you can have this idea you want to make a change and you consider the change and you write it up and that's great, but that's really just the first tiny step. Before you can really say you have changed the culture, have impacted the culture, that's a retrospective thing. You look back at it like six months from now, a year from now and say, oh, actually, we did change things. I mean, we've certainly had ideas at Basecamp or whatever that we put out there and then... For whatever reason, it doesn't actually end up changing the culture, perhaps because the idea wasn't considered enough or we didn't follow through on it. Or in other cases, we impart something on the culture that we actually didn't consider that well, didn't write up. It just became part of the culture because it was something that we did, right? Um, So I think that that's – you always have to look at it like, what are we actually doing? For me, that is what culture is. Okay. Next question. There's like a scenario I'll describe and then there's a question. My former coworker and I were recently let go from the design agency we worked for. The client work had disappeared in the last year and bonuses were cut for the first time. So this made sense to us. But we found out the week from other coworkers that the decision to let us go was portrayed as having nothing to do with the company's financial health. Instead, it was characterized as being related to, quote, misalignment with the company culture, unquote. 
I speculate that management was just worried that announcing budget-related layoffs could create concern detrimental to the business, both among employees and clients. My question is this. As business owners, when it comes to communicating change that is unequivocally negative, do you feel there are exceptions where you may have more to lose by being open and transparent about why decisions are being made? Yeah, that's pretty crappy for them to have done. They chose messaging that reflects poorly on you and that could potentially cause real damage to your reputation if this is a small field or if you cross paths with those clients in the future. It really wasn't right for them to do that. It's true that businesses are often very reluctant to reveal to clients that they're having financial problems, but there's still a way to talk about your departure without getting into that. For example, they could have said that they were doing some restructuring, which is a thing that happens without meaning that the company is in dire straits. Or they could have simply said that you'd moved on and left it at that. I mean, people leave companies all the time without there being drama connected to it. They could have just said that you'd taken another job and that would have been fine. Frankly, if you wanted to pursue this, you probably could. You could contact them and ask them not to misrepresent the terms of your departure and explain that their messaging is reflecting poorly on you. But if it's not a small field and you don't expect this to come up for you with people in the future, it might be better to just move on. But do know it was not the right thing for them to do and they should have handled it differently. It's so easy to communicate things as we were talking about with culture when everything is going well. When things aren't going well, um, people start making poor decisions because you're under stress and you, I think in most cases, you want to be kind and you want to do well and you want, want to spread fear and you don't want to spread panic about things. But I think I'd like to believe that at least our default is that it's better to rip off the bandage. Like if something is not going well, um, like for example, us. Yesterday or on Monday when we had the meetup here, we had a, a profit growth plan in place that we had announced uh, prior and it didn't pay out, right? Like there's – that's just sort of what happens. Everything in business isn't just up and to the right, right? There's things that happen or you didn't grow as much as you thought you were going to do or, or growth goes negative and you start shrinking – I think it, it's it's better to be uh, sort of upfront about that and just take the heat in the moment. Um, that's, of course, a lot easier said than done. And there's a lot of particulars on when someone's job is on the line, um, which is also you don't never have the full information or you rarely do when you look at it from the outside. In many cases, managers are trying to spare the feelings, the emotions, the ego of someone being let go and saying like, oh, it is for – budget reasons or for other reasons because they don't want to tell the person like, I'm letting you go because I don't want to work with you or you're not right in this role or, or whatever, which comes from a place of kindness, you'd, you'd hope, right? Not a place of deceit. But still, even in that case, I think it's, um, it's a very fine balance that if you try to cocoon it too much and wrap it up too much and be too protective, you end up just being false. And in some cases, it's, it's, inevitable that someone being let go is, is not going to have warm, fuzzy feelings about that. It's just a very hard transition to go through that and, and come out on the other side as like best buddies. Like that's not going to happen. And in fact, perhaps there is some healing function to it like, oh, 
my boss was a jerk because they told me I wasn't good at my job or whatever, right? Like, then you can at least go like, well, fuck that guy. I'm going to go off and do something better and I'm going to be motivated to get another job, da, 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 right? I think there's there's sometimes too much of an emphasis on like, oh, let's make sure everyone comes out on the other side smiley happy about it and like it was really no one's fault and I don't know if that actually helps people. Uh, the other thing I would add to that is that if you don't tell people why something happened, they'll tell themselves why it happened and it'll almost always be worse. The The rumor will be worse than the truth. And you can only get away with sort of fudging things for so long. And once people stop trusting you, then you're really screwed. So if you're a business owner and there's going to be bad news occasionally, um, if you just try to um, either just gloss it over, nothing really happened, people are going to go, I don't believe you. And they're going to make up their own story and that's going to be worse. Then you're going to be putting out fires, which is even harder and then burns trust even more. Um I do think sometimes um, it's it's truth is truth even has a spectrum because you have to be careful. Sometimes there's personal reasons you can't tell the truth. You know, someone had did something or something happened, and you really can't talk about it. Um, I think the thing though that then is to say I, we can't talk about it because it's personal versus saying it's something else and then not actually explaining why. So I think that's the key. If something happens you can't talk about, just say you can't talk about it versus. Uh, making up some other reason that you hope people will just kind of forget. How do you manage risk communication at Basecamp? And is there a system of escalation that supports risk resolution and other issues that need more senior intervention? I think risk maybe means conflict in this case. That's what it sounds like to me. Is there a system of escalation that supports conflict resolution? In some regards, I think we're just kind of hopefully put one in a little bit uh, a few days ago or yesterday. Um, Typically, the way you'd hope it would happen, um, and by the way, the way you'd hope it happened is not usually how it happens, but the way you'd hope it would happen is people would f- either, you know, solve things themselves, which isn't usually going to happen, um, or they'll take it to, uh, you know, their their superior team leader or something like that. And then if they can't resolve it, they would continue to go up up the, uh, the, the, the stream. The problem is, for us at least, was that um, from team lead, we're a very flat organization, so Team, we have team leaders for some teams, um, but then there's a gap. It's team leaders to ownership. And a lot of things don't ever make it up to ownership for a variety of different reasons. Understandable, like it's power dynamics. People don't want to talk about things. What if it's the owner's thing? Like what if the problem is with the owners? Like where do you go? So um, if you don't have the proper channels for it to escalate, um, and I mean that in a positive sense, that, then then things either spill out and boil over and get, get worse or, or people hold it inside and it gets really bad. So I do think it's important to have a pretty clear channel and something we just added uh, – someone we just added yesterday, we promoted somebody is sort of what we're calling head of people ops, which is you know not a, a new idea. Uh, it's basically HR to other companies. Um, so there's now a place or a person to go to if there's interpersonal relationship issues, if there's um, tension around an idea or a decision or someone doesn't understand why something happened or why they were told not to do something, they now have somewhere to go. Uh, I think it's pretty important. Otherwise, things just boil over. And once things boil over, it's kind of like um, uh, a blood infection, basically. Like sometimes there can be an infection and you, it's kind of isolated and then it gets in your blood and it goes all over your body. And that's kind of what happens if it boils over. Like we've had this happen internally where there's been a little bit of a disagreement. Some people haven't been feeling great about each other. And then it's posted in a thread that goes out to 54 people and across the company. And all of a sudden, everyone is now pulled into this 
um, debate and discussion and disagreement and and everyone's now subjected to tone, which probably wasn't appropriate. And then you're really in trouble because it spreads and it infects other people in a sense. So, um, yes, there should be channels, uh, you know, figure out what they are, make sure people know what they are and see how it's flowing. And if it doesn't flow well, you might need more channels or might need to explain where people should go if they have a problem, that sort of thing. And then last question, um, I'll read it, and then I think we'll play Allison's answer, and then you can riff off what she said. Um, okay. I have experienced working completely remote for some months, and the sense of freedom is nice, but I could not help but feeling lonely and isolated quite often. When I had to go to the office, I was commuting with public transport. I live in Europe, and it was nice to be among other people for a while. Also, being in the office itself with the others made me feel a part of something. Seeing the faces in Skype calls and talking via emails did not give me these feelings. At this point in my life, I really enjoy working in the office since working remote from home would result in me moving less and seeing people less often and feeling isolated. So what advice do you have for a remote employee who's feeling isolated and lonely? And we're going to hear what Allison had to say. Working from home definitely isn't right for everyone, and it might be that it just isn't really right for you. But before you decide that, there's a couple of things I would look at. One is, do you live in an area that has any co-working spaces? If you do, it might be worth trying those just like a couple days a week and see if that helps you feel less isolated. Your company might even pay for it. If that's not an option though, even working in another type of public space, like a coffee shop or a library or a park might help. You know, working from home doesn't necessarily need to mean from your actual home. So you could think creatively about that. And also look to see if there's any way that you can get some interactions structured into your days. You know, if it makes sense for the type of work that you do, can you schedule a regular catch-up call with people you work with? Or if you have a friend who also works from home, can you spend some time working together at each other's houses or in a public space? But ultimately, it is possible that working from home just isn't for you, and that's okay. You might need a job in an office with coworkers who are physically present. And if you do end up deciding that's what you need, that's as much of a legitimate thing to look for in your next job as anything else is. So you shouldn't feel like you have to make it work at all costs. I think the important part to stress is there's no one who can work as a hermit for 365 days a year. It just they can't even work for a hermit even three days in a row. I think uh, when I'm on the road um, and either going to a conference or racing or anything else like that, and I'm by myself for long periods of time, I'm an introvert. I enjoy solitude for some amount of time, but I still go crazy. If I am just not interacting with other humans on a regular basis for days on end. And I think there's a false set of expectations with remote work that it's just going to be automatically this wonderful thing just because you happen to work from home. Now, I have a family and that gives me all the stimulation and interaction with other human beings that I don't need that from sitting in an office. But you do need it somehow, and you need to find it somehow. And it doesn't need to be necessarily around work, but it has to be around something else. And there has to be something else in it where you're getting it from. We have some people at Basecamp, for example, who split up their day. So they'll start working in the morning, and then in the middle of the day, they'll go to the gym. 
or something else like that where they're interacting with other people. You absolutely need that. I don't think there's even the biggest introvert is going to go stir crazy if they just sit by themselves all day long and you you live alone. It there's not enough stimulation in that. Now, the other thing is that some people just need three, four hours of stimulation with other humans per day, and some people need 12 hours, right? So you need to calibrate that somewhat. For me, and I think for a lot of people at Basecamp, they enjoy the solitude they get at their desk, and then they seek the interaction with other humans outside of that. I think there's degrees, again, for, for uh, you know, what what is it's hard to know what what she was looking for. Or he I don't know if it was a, a I think man it was a man asked. actually. Okay. Yeah. What he was looking for um, was it just human interaction or was it uh, the the type of work that was being done? He required interaction with his coworkers. So that's another detail. Is it just like I need personal con- connection or is this company that I work for currently set up to primarily be uh, primarily advantage people who are nearby? And so that's another detail I think that's important to look at. Um, I think uh, the other thing is, is he one of the only remote workers? If that's the case, that's really a hard situation to be in. Uh, it's much better when, when the majority of the company is remote. So it's, it's a matter of tools and methods and, and, and proportion and what kind of work is being done too, not only whether or not you need human contact or not. Rework is produced by Sean Hildner and me, Waylon Wong. Our theme music is Broken by Design by Clipart. Special thanks to Allison Green for coming on and helping to answer some questions. You can find her website at askamanager.org. She's also on Twitter at askamanager. And she's got a new book out called Ask a Manager. So you should call up your local indie bookstore and ask if they have it in stock. You can find show notes for this and every episode of Rework at our website, rework.fm. We are also on Twitter at Rework Podcast. You can shoot us an email. We are hello at rework.fm. And if you have questions for Jason Fried or David Heinemeyer Hansen, for our next mailbag episode, you can leave us a voicemail at 708-628-7850. And we'd like to wish all of our listeners, or rather, I would like to wish all of our listeners. Well, I don't think you care. <laughs> Do you care? No! <laughs> I, Waylon Wong, would like to wish all of our listeners a very happy royal wedding weekend. May 19th. You can find me on Twitter at Velocity Wong. I will be watching the wedding. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Um, a few weeks ago, I was on a customer service call, and the customer service rep offered to escalate my issue, and I actually talked him out of it because it sounded too <laughs> scary. <laughs> this is along my business philosophy. When people come to me for advice, which no one does, don't start no shit, there won't be no shit. <laughs>